Don't wait too long. Grab your Bibles, guys. Uh, open up to Titus chapter 1. All right, now you need your Bibles today because I'm not helping you out very much with PowerPoint. I'm going to give you a couple of verses, but I want you turning, especially if these are your Bibles. Uh, the verses I have you turn to, I really, truly believe you should be underlining and circling these verses. Uh, these are big, big deal verses. These are going to be today where we're talking about some very key points in our lives that very quickly tell us how close or far from God we are. Are we doing well with him, or have we kind of slid back a little bit or, or cooled off in our walk with him? And so today, we're talking about the real deal, all right? I don't know about you guys, but uh, I remember growing up, my grandma always had a bowl of fake fruit, and I remember as a little kid grabbing it and realizing, this is styrofoam. It wasn't a real apple or banana or whatever she had in there, and it was like a, it was a bummer. And in the same way, when the world grabs onto what they believe to be a Christian, but what comes out of them is anything other than the love of Christ. It's someone who's harsh or who's bitter or who's rebellious or whatever. That it's a, it's a huge bummer. And so the real deal, we are to be true believers following Jesus. And today you're going to find out one of two things, okay? One, as we go through this, if you can just say, nope, I don't do any of these things and I don't even care, then you've got a serious problem and you're very, very, very far from the Lord. But it's amazing that God says that if we open our eyes and realize that we've sinned and fallen short, all we do is confess our sin and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God raised from the dead, and he will save you from all of your sins. It's amazing. And for many of us, it will be, man, I am, I am following the Lord, and I'm doing okay, but maybe there's an area where the Lord says, hey, you're running a little rough in this area of your life. I want to give you a tune-up today. I want to redirect you back to the center of the path, not, not too close to the gutter. And so today, whichever one it is, as we go through the word, let the Lord lead you and guide you and reveal like, hey, these are the areas of your lives that I'm concerned about. And these are the areas of your lives that I want to, I want to tweak just a little bit and, and get you closer to my heart that you'd understand me, all right? But the real deal. You guys there? Titus chapter 1? Pray it up. Father, we thank you so much for your word and that you have not left us to figure this out on our own. And so, God, we, we invite you, search our hearts right now. Lord, in these different areas that you would cause us to see the way you want us to see. And Lord, any areas that we're lacking or struggling, Lord, that you would be our strength. But Father, we would be true, true believers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, what makes a Christian a Christian? What do you think? What makes a Christian a Christian? Is it going to church and being surrounded by Christianity that makes a Christian a Christian? Not at all. That will hopefully influence someone to become a Christian. But what makes a Christian a Christian is someone who is choosing to follow Christ. They've, they've seen the Lord and said, man, I need to be forgiven. And they give their lives to the Lord and they begin to follow Jesus. And so don't make the mistake of well, maybe, look, I'm, I'm under no delusion at all. I know you didn't set your alarm and wake up and then crawl out of bed and get ready and get into your car and drive yourself to church, right? Someone brought you and mom and dad brought you and, and so we're here together and I love that you guys are here, but the reality is we can be surrounded by church so long and surrounded by Christianity for an extended period of time where we've got to begin to ask the question, hey, is this the real deal? Am I following Jesus or am I just surrounded by Jesus types of things? And so consider yourself as we go through this stuff today. 
But as we do, I want to ask you a question. How do you know if someone's a believer or not? How do you know? Is it just they say it? And so, okay. Because I could tell you today, I'm an electrician. Oh, sweet, fix my light. If I, man, you asked me to fix a light bulb, I'd blow myself up. I'm not an electrician. I don't know anything about it. And the same way you guys have heard that whole phrase about ducks, right? If it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. You guys have heard that before? It's a pretty awesome saying. If it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. It's not based on what it says of itself. It's based on what it looks like and what it does and how it reacts. In the very same way, a Christian is to be like Christ. Uh, a counterfeit. You guys know what counterfeits are, right? Fake money is typically what we think of. There's counterfeits all over the place. Um, you guys ever gone somewhere and you paid with like your $20 bill and someone gets out that marker and they swipe it to see if it changes colors or not or they put it under that light to see, I don't know what they're looking for, something must glow or show up. A counterfeit, something, this is a neat definition, it's very simple. What is a counterfeit? The definition, it says, made in imitation of something else with the intent to deceive. That it's made in the imitation of something with the intent to deceive. Are there Christian counterfeits? There are. There always have been. Jesus even said there would be false Christs. People would come and say, I'm Jesus. It's crazy. You can meet people that believe they're Isaiah the prophet or Michael the archangel. Are they? No. It's a counterfeit. Look at Titus chapter 1. It's wild. It's always been, and apparently will continue to be, that people say one thing and do something entirely different. Verse 15 says, To the pure, those who are right, they see God clearly. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled, it means they've been contaminated by the world. They're defiled and unbelieving. Nothing is pure, but even their mind and their conscience are defiled. And then the crazy part starts in verse 16. They profess to know God. Wild word. Profess, it means to acknowledge and promise. It says they profess to know God, to acknowledge and to promise they know God. It says, I know God. I promise. No, I know him. But in works, in what they do, they deny him. They profess, they promise to know God, but in works, they've denied him. I've met people like that. They're, maybe they steal cars, or they've been in and out of prison for violent crimes, or they've uh, abandoned their children, or whatever. There's a, a long list of people, and you can sit down and talk to them like, man, are you, like, do you understand the Lord? Do you understand his grace and his love? And man, you'll get back. So don't you tell me I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. You just stole someone's car. Don't judge me, man. I know God. You just held a gun up to the people like, oh, I'm a Christian, man. Okay. But then you see, it's always been going on. They profess to know God. But in works, they've denied him. And so for us, I went to VBS, and I went to winter camp, and I went to whatever, whatever, whatever. What about at home? What about at school? What about at the skate park? What about on the baseball field? What about our lives? What does that profess? Not what do we profess with our mouth today. What do our lives promise or proclaim? 
gold is an interesting thing. You know, money's based on gold. Gold's awesome. The money you own only represents a certain gold value. And uh, as a kid, most of us have seen or probably got a chunk of fool's gold. You guys ever get like that little rock that's all shiny? Like, oh, it's gold. And your mom's like, no, it's fool's gold. It's worth nothing. Like you have to pay someone to take it from you. Well, how do you find out if it's real gold or fake gold? There's a couple different ways. The two most popular is a magnetic test. Basically, you know, real gold's not magnetic. So if someone buys you like a pair of earrings or a necklace or a ring and it's like, it's made out of gold, pure gold, and you put a magnet to it and it sticks, they're lying. It's fake. But the more accurate test, it's called the acid test. You take that item of gold and you drip some acid on it and one of two things will happen. If it truly is pure gold, the acid will drop onto it and it'll just run right off. Nothing will happen. Look like water. No big deal because it's pure gold. But if it's not, if it's tainted or been mixed in with something that's fake or false or an impurity, then when you drop that acid on it, it begins to bubble and foam and it changes colors and it reveals the true properties of what's before you. And so in life, we're going to talk about five specific things that are kind of like the the spiritual acid test as we drop these things on our lives right now and look at God's word. Is it going to say, hey, you're doing good. You're a believer. You're following me. Or is it going to cause us to bubble inside and to change color and to get frustrated and to get upset? And look, if you're a believer, maybe God just wants to do that tune-up. But if every single area goes on today and it's just like, nope, 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 we need to talk. Because there's an enormous amount of grace that God has and desires to wash away those sins. But it's, it's crazy. Matthew chapter 15 Starting at verse 7, it says, You hypocrites, two-faced, you two-faced liars. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people, they draw near to me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain or emptiness they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. It is possible to say one thing and do something entirely different. And so we're going to look at five specific things today. You guys ready? First one's our our character in regards to patience. As a believer, God desires and and puts within us, the Holy Spirit will work into us greater and greater and greater patience with people, that we're to be patient with people. Turn your Bibles. Turn to James. James chapter 1. All right, flip, flip. If you get to Hebrews, just keep going a little bit more to the right. James chapter 1, that we are to be a patient with, or we're to be patient with people. Now, immediately, it's like, oh, man, this is question number one. Fail. Now, no one's called to be perfect, but we're to be more patient today than we were six months ago. Is there evidence of God working in your life? I'm not saying you have to get an A plus on every single one of these, but are we more patient today than the day we got saved? Are we more patient and long-suffering with that crazy brother or sister or that guy at school or that teacher that drives us insane today than we were at the beginning of the school year? Because when the Holy Spirit's alive and well, he'll be producing patience. It's awesome. You guys there? James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, it says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift or quick to hear and very slow to speak and slow to wrath. What is wrath? Wrath is acting upon anger. Okay, Wrath is acting upon anger. It's okay to be angry, to get frustrated. That's, that's fine. It's how you 
manage that or handle that. He says, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to act upon your anger, slow to wrath. For that wrath, the wrath of man, does not produce the righteousness or the character of God. We're to be a patient people. With that little kid that drives you crazy, or that person in your life that just makes you insane. You guys have been told, I'm sure, more than once, I mean, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You should listen twice as much as you talk. And it's kind of true. How much less trouble would we be in if instead of jumping to conclusions, right, let the, penis for, for, let the person finish talking or let the situation fully play out before you've made up your mind or don't be so quick to defend yourself or to make an accusation against someone. He says, look, be quick to listen, listen. And very slow to speak. Why? Because when we're not quick to listen, we will be quick to speak, and that immediately produces an anger that we act upon. And he says, don't be quick to wrath. Don't be quick to act upon your anger, because right there, and I'll just be honest with you guys right now, it says that the wrath of God does not produce the righteousness or the character of God. It is right there in that moment. If our greatest struggle is our patience, and we have no patience for people, no long-suffering, no kindness. We just think we're just hard-hearted and cold towards everybody. It says it doesn't produce anything in our lives. We've gone as far with God as we can go until he deals with our patience. And today, maybe that's what the Lord wants to work in or out of you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, Be angry and do not sin. It's okay to be angry. Someone throws a tomato at you or your brother ties your shoelaces together under the table and you didn't know it and you trip and fall down or uh, the dog poops on your grass or whatever it is. I don't, it doesn't matter. Your, your frappuccino wasn't made right. Like, I don't know. So you're a little bit upset on the inside. Fine, but you don't act upon it. You don't become that hard-hearted or, or loud, just angry person. So be angry. That's fine. But do not sin. And so thinking about this in patience, and I'll tell you, this is an area that God is constantly, constantly working into my life. But I started thinking, like, what is the foundation, what's the core ingredient to patience? Like, what causes us to be impatient? What causes us not to be long-suffering or not to be compassionate? It's pride. And so if pride is what causes us to be impatient and incompassionate, then what is the foundation or that main ingredient for patience, it's humility. Think about it. It's humility. As soon as you humble yourselves and see, look, maybe your walk with God is better than somebody else's. All right? Maybe your walk with God, literally, you don't listen to that kind of music, and I don't see those movies, and I don't talk, man, they cuss. I don't talk how they talk. Let's say your walk really, really, really is better than somebody else's. Okay? You with me? That's fine. But that doesn't make you a better person. Just because you have a better walk with someone doesn't make you a better person. It just means you're a little bit further down the road than they are. You're both sinners, hopefully both saved by grace. We may have a better walk, but that doesn't make us a better person. We've just gotten a little bit further down the path with Jesus than they have. And so when we recognize, look, I've been mean to people like they're being mean to me. I've made the wrong decision like they're making the wrong decision. 
all of a sudden patience comes in when we humble ourselves and realize maybe I'm not that much better than them. And isn't it pride? When we get so short with people and snappy with people, why? It's because they can't talk to me that way. They can't treat me that way. This isn't fair and I deserve and that's pride. But humility says, hey, you know what? All I deserve is hell. And so anything better than that's more than I deserve. And giving people a little bit of grace. Just because you don't have the same fault, right? You and I probably don't have the same faults. But because we don't have the same faults, maybe one of you is having a hard time taming your tongue. And someone else is having a hard time with uh, covetousness. You just greed and you want, 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 want. Maybe, like I'll tell you right now, if you're like, I love technology, I just love gaming. Ah! I don't have that. I don't, I don't have that temptation. I just, it's not my thing. I'm not, I don't desire carrot, squash, or gaming. Like, to me, they, they just, it's not my thing. All right? But just because I don't have the same fault as you do doesn't make me faultless. I don't have the same problems they have. That doesn't mean you don't have any problems. I have a better walk than them. You, you actually might, but that doesn't make you a better person. And so remember or remind yourself often that it's humility that God will bring patience. I think it's funny. There's a cartoon we found. Jesus says, don't go walking around trying to perform surgery on people. Don't go walking around. Look at the little speck, the little dust in people's eyes while you have this huge beam or this plank sticking out of your own. It's exactly what it means. That is a perfect picture of what it means. You're walking around. You have this big old anger problem, but because you don't listen to you know, bad music, you think you're better than everybody else. They may not be so. And so patience, we're to be patient with people. Another thing of our five, so the first one, be patient with people. The second one, if we're born again and the Holy Spirit is alive in us, there will be a unique respect for authority. There will be a unique respect for authority. Romans chapter 13. Turn your Bibles to the left, right after the Gospels and the book of Acts. If you find the Corinthian books, like First and Second Corinthians, you're, you're to the left just a little bit more is Romans, chapter 13. That a believer, someone who's indwelled by the Holy Spirit and is walking with God, there's a unique respect for authority. Starting in verse 1, it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. This is crazy. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance or the commandment of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. This is crazy. God says, look, the authorities in your life, I've placed them there. They're, they're molding a character, or maybe it's that patience, or maybe these other things we'll talk about in a minute, but the authorities, a believer recognizes that the people in their life that have control in any way at all, God's put them there. God's allowed that to be, but that teacher's mean. They're still an authority. Well, my mom's wrong. Well, first of all, she's probably right. You just don't know it. But she's still an authority. Nah, my principal just walks around like he's the boss. He is. <laughs> like, Oh, please, cop! You guys realize authorities are there to protect you and help you? I remember as a kid growing up, right, you'd go to get your Slurpee and a police officer drives by, it's like, cop! 
And you were like, wait, I remember this point, like, why am I so afraid of police officers? I'm not robbing anybody. I'm not beating somebody up. I didn't hold someone at gunpoint. I'm not driving a stolen car. And all of a sudden, it's like, I think it's not that big of a deal. Unless you're a criminal, police officer comes by. It's not like, <gasps> police officer. It's like, it should be like, hey. But the authorities in our lives, God's established. And we take it to the extreme. Look, that teacher, I understand. Teachers can be mean. Think of it. We'd be mean if we had to deal with us all the time, too, right? I mean, why are they so grumpy? They put up with you all the time. That's why. But if we're honest, they, the authority is in our lives. You respect them. A born-again believer has a unique respect for authority. And what about mom and dad? You respect them. You have to learn to respect them. Because if we're a child of God, we're to act like a child of God not like a little person who throws temper tantrums. And a unique thing about believing in the Lord and following the Lord, check this out. It's Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 and 23 together. It goes on. It says, Children, obey your parents in all things. Where's the loophole in that one? There, there isn't. Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Just a couple of verses later, it goes on, and whatever you do, do it heartily, or your whole heart, as to the Lord and not to them or men. For right there for a moment, since we're on family, insert that with them with dad. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to dad. Or as to the Lord, not to mom. Or as to the Lord, not to teacher. Knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. What does this mean? This means when mom says, hey, can you vacuum the carpet? You don't go around all the chairs, right? We all do it. You go around the table, around the chairs. If it was for the king... Man, wouldn't you just, you'd move the chairs and you'd get underneath the couch and you would do, I mean, you'd probably vacuum it twice and the baseboards with that little sorty thing and you'd suck everything up and you'd do an amazing job. Or if, if the king, you're taking the trash out for Jesus, you wouldn't let it spill on the way out and just let this pile line behind you. You'd go back and you'd scrape up the coffee grinds and throw that tin can away and you'd do your best. But ah, it's just mom and dad, whatever. God says, no more. Whatever you do. Even in obeying your parents, you do it in obedience to God. So, next time mom or dad asks you to do something and you tell them no, just remember, you're really telling God no. Hey, will you help me? No. You just told the Lord no, straight up. Now, some authorities don't deserve our respect, right? They don't. They're mean, rude, evil people. Maybe you're one of those few people that got stuck in a really hard home. And until you move out, mom and dad, they're not the most amazing people in the world. Or for all of us, someday, you guys know this, someday, at least once in your life, your parents will be wrong. Did you know that? They'll be wrong. But we don't res respect authority because they deserve our respect. You respect authority even if they don't deserve it. 
because it's as unto the Lord. God's placed them there. So we're to be patient with people, to be humble and grow in our patience with people. We're to respect authority. Number three, simply put, a believer, the Holy Spirit in them, you got to watch your mouth. You've got, you've got to. The Holy Spirit will work it in us, though. I'm not saying you've perfected it, but do we speak better now than we did a year ago? Like, well, I'm, maybe you're like, I've never cussed. I've never used bad words. I don't necessarily mean, those are obvious. Obviously, if you're like, bleep, 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 like, no, obviously you've got a problem. That's not right. Even a non-believer shouldn't talk that way. But a believer with the Holy Spirit, that God's going to work not just what we say, but how we say it. Matthew chapter 15. Turn your Bibles. Matthew chapter 15. Isn't it amazing the power of language? Someone you've known for 10 years, you can destroy in 10 seconds if you're not careful. It's wild. Matthew chapter 15, uh, starting at verse 10. It says, When he had called the multitudes to himself, Jesus said to them, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. It says, look, for them it was tradition. They're not supposed to eat this food. They're not supposed to do that thing. And so for you, maybe it's that... Like, oh, I don't hang out with those people, and I don't wear those kinds of clothes, and so I, it's what, what you put on you is like oh, not that big a deal, but man, you're mean with your mouth. God says, I don't really care about all those other things until we deal with your heart, because your mouth only proclaims what your heart truly believes. The Bible says, out of your mouth spring forth the issues of life and the issues of the heart. That when we talk, it reveals our true character. Colossians Chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, gives us an understanding of how we're supposed to talk. It says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Redeeming the time or taking advantage of the time. Let your speech always be with, what's the word there? Grace, you got it. Let your speech always be with, what is it? Grace. Undeserved loving kindness. Let your speech always be with undeserved loving kindness kindness or grace this doesn't mean we have to be happy all the time and nice and hi how are you today like we're some crazy cheerleader on coffee or something like but to speak with grace we can be so quick and so sharp maybe we don't use bad words but we tear people apart god says when you talk in all of your talking let your speech be with grace Give you an example. There's two different ways to handle an argument, right? If uh, I was going to have an argument, maybe, I don't know, maybe Joe took my lawnmower without asking or something, right? I can come up and be like, dude, what's your problem, freak? You're like a thief. I should call the cops. You little, what is wrong with you, man? Does your wife even know what a loser she married? Right? I could handle it like that. And am I? Am I not? I'm, I'm justified, right? He came into my house and stole my lawnmower. Or, and some of you guys, you laugh at that. But, oh, your brother takes your phone without asking. Get over here, you little twerp. You're good for nothing, loser. 
Or they borrow your clothes without asking. Or, oh yeah, that, that's it? Okay. For the ladies, it's the phone. Or no, whatever. I don't care. But we could deal with the same thing, right, with grace. You could sit down and be like, hey, Joe, I don't appreciate coming into my house without asking. And, or whatever. You know what, little brother? Can you do me a favor and just not take stuff without asking? And next time, maybe I'll be nice and let you have it. But that you can communicate with grace. That someone that has the Holy Spirit in them, if we're born again, will begin to talk to people, talk to people with more grace. You'll talk to mom and dad. If you're going to disagree with them, do it in a respectful and in a loving or a graceful way. I think it's awesome. It says, redeeming the time, because those who are on the outside of the faith, they're watching. Imagine you go to the store. Imagine if I went to the store, right, and we're going down the waffle aisle, and all of a sudden I'm looking at the bread, and I turn back, and boom, the shopping cart's full of waffles, and the kids are throwing in syrup and all this stuff. What if right there it was like, knock it off, you little twerps, and just smack their hand and start throwing waffles at them, and, <laughs> right? You're crazy. And then what happens? You, you, someone from church, someone from youth groups there, and they're like, oh, the pastor's beating these kids in the waffle aisle. Like, oh, my gosh. Can't do that. And you laugh, but people see you. They'll see you at school, at Christian club, hopefully, or from church, or you have a, a Christian symbol on your shirt or your backpack or your hat or something you're wearing. But, man, you're throwing a temper tantrum with your mom out at the grocery store. Oh, that's how Christians are? They're no different. Man, they're full of that much disrespect or that much harshness. It's not that different. We should know how to handle our words. James chapter 3. Flip your Bibles. These are ones I want you guys to see. I would underline them if I were you. You were there a little while ago. Just past Hebrews. James chapter 3. This whole chapter is amazing. but This is awesome. I'm actually going to read you guys verse 2. It says, For we all stumble in many things. We all, we all mess up sometimes in all kinds of different ways. If anyone does not stumble in word or how he talks, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Man, if you can handle how you speak, if you can tame your tongue, you can figure out every other temptation in life. Man, you've got it. And how many of you guys are like, man... I have a hard time watching what I say sometimes. Cool. Some of us. And here's the problem. Some of us, uh, others, you may be seeing this thing like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. I never mess up. Actually, I'm like the nicest talking person I've ever met. Got a problem for you. Verse 8. God says, no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison." With it we bless God the Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the same image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings, as my brethren, these things ought not to be so. I remember there was a time where I thought, like, yeah, I've got my mouth under control. But then you read this and it says, no man does. And so is it possible that if, if you're one of the people sitting here today, like, I'm not mean with my mouth, I'm not mean with how I talk, I'm pretty nice, actually. Maybe we're just 
so arrogant we don't notice when we hurt people. Maybe we're so blinded by how good we are that we don't notice when we tear people down. Because how we talk is a very difficult thing to manage. We can sit here, you can put up the picture, it says you should not sit here and worship God. We bless God and turn around and curse men. And yet today you'll be tempted. We'll be in here, we were just singing, right? Blessed be the name of the Lord, or whatever we're singing. Blessed be your name. But then you're going to walk outside, and you're going to go down to the car with your family, and then it's going to blow up inside the car. James says, this is so backwards, that when we speak, we're to speak with grace, with loving kindness. Last one about your mouth, Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. This is crazy awesome. Very simple to understand takes a little bit of practice to make it part of who you are. Jesus simply says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. What does that mean? He says, when you say yes, people should understand that means yes. And when you say no, they should understand it means no. He says, you don't have to swear or promise or pinky promise or, you know, cross my heart and hope to die or anything like that. You should never have to promise anything to anybody ever again. That over time, they will recognize, man, that is a man of his word. Because when he's, every time he has said yes, he followed through at all costs. You say, yeah, man, I'll come over and help you build that doghouse. And then realize, like, oh, that's when I was supposed to go to the baseball game. You give up the baseball game because you gave him your word. That your word's more valuable than a moment of entertainment. Or, man, that is a woman of integrity. She told me she'd come over and help me study. She told me she'd come over and do whatever. And she, she's never, never, never gave me her word and not followed through. That when we say yes, it's to mean yes. We're not flaky people. And in the same way, your no should mean no. Oh, but peer pressure, and they're just going to keep hounding me. Hey, you want to come hang out with us, all the bad guys? And you're like, no. They're just going to keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing until you say yes, right? No, they won't. They'll, give a, they'll get tired of knocking on a door that won't open. The world will get tired of knocking on a door that won't open. So when you say, no, I'm not going there, or no, I'm not doing that, or no, you're not allowed to do this to my life, or whatever it is, and you mean no, it doesn't mean if you try harder, on the fifth time you ask me, you can change my mind or break my will or, or manipulate me into doing something. God says, when you say no, you better mean it. Be willing to go to war over it if necessary. You stand for what you believe in. When you say yes, you follow through at all costs. When you say no, you stand with all your strength. It's amazing. God says, don't be deceived. I will call you to give an account for every single oath or promise you've given. So we're to be patient people. We're to uniquely respect authority. We're to watch our mouth speak with grace. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. This fourth one we'll just touch on briefly. I don't think it needs a whole lot of explaining. I think we get it. But a believer, born again, Holy Spirit's inside, we are to be a pure people. We're to remain pure. Turn your Bibles a little bit. All the T's are together in the New Testament, if you didn't know. So if you can find the Thessalonians or First and Second Timothy, right after that's the Titus. 
but you need, uh, what is it? What are we looking for? First Thessalonians chapter 4, that we're to remain pure. There's a call to holiness and purity that God's people have upon their lives. It doesn't necessarily make it easier, but it is a reality. For this is the will of God, chapter 4, verse 3. Isn't it, I love when God speaks so clearly on some issues. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you'd be set aside, you'd be different, you'd be reserved. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain or stay away from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel or body. You can write in body there. You should know how to handle your own body in sanctification and in honor not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. God says, this is my will for you, that you would remain sexually pure until the day of your marriage, that you would abstain or remove yourself from all impurity. You're like, well, how far is too far? If you're not sure, guess what? I guarantee you it's too far. Is this? Yes. If you're playing around with it and you're unsure and you're, trying to walk on water, it's only a matter of time. You're going to sink pretty quick. So what is it? To remain pure. Don't stumble. Don't flirt with it. Don't see how close to the edge you can get without falling off. Remember as a little kid, I used to strike matches and watch them burn. You know that thing they tell you not to do? I used to watch, just... I blow it out right before it got to my view. I mean, I went through boxes. No one, well, I think I told my mom when I, well, they actually, they did find out. I'll tell you right now. But I had to do this for a long time. Like, we lived with my grandparents. I'd go in, I'd sit down, close the door like I was going to the bathroom and just. One time I went, and I was watching it burn. And ah! It got too close. It didn't, burn, it didn't blow it out in time. The thing dropped in the trash can, lit the trash can on fire, lit the towel on fire that was hanging on the towel rack, and so I was like, oh, shoot. So what do you do as a seven or eight-year-old kid and you lit the bathroom on fire? You don't, no, you don't want to get in trouble. They'll know what you're doing if you get water. You go out and close the door behind you, and you go sit down in the living room and pretend to watch TV. And then luckily, an adult sees smoke pouring out from under the door and rushes in. But guys, we step into this area of life thinking, oh, we're just going to strike some matches. We're just going to hold hands. We're just going to kiss, but we're not going to go all the way. And we start striking matches and watching it and striking matches. I'm telling you right now. Proverbs tells us you are playing with fire and do not be deceived. You cannot heap fire or coal upon yourselves and not get burned. God says, this is my will for you. You get a have that husband or that wife someday and God will bless it beyond your wildest dreams but that until then you remain pure and I'll tell you right now ladies it's so easy to get a guy's attention you just dress the part you'll get him for a moment but the way you win a man's heart is not the same way that you get his eyes attention okay you deserve way more than a momentary look or some attention based on how you dress you're worth his heart. And guys, I'll tell you right now, for the most part, if all they do is dress to impress, that's all you're going to get. That's all you're going to get. 
Make sure you're in love with their heart, not with just the way they look. Because we all grow old. And so you'll be stuck with who you married, not what you married. Matthew, oh no, sorry. We're going to pause for a second. Your generation, well, no, 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 it's, it's different, man. Screens count. I don't care if it's your phone or a tablet or a computer. It counts as sexual immorality. If you're on things you shouldn't be, it counts. It counts. Well, no one knows. Are you kidding? God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He knows. He knows your heart. It counts. Looking counts. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. It says, the lamp of the body is the eye. Right, Your eye is like the light bulb that gives life and understanding and hope and joy, what you see. If, therefore, your eye is good, or meaning what you look upon is good and it's, 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 it's acceptable to the Lord, it's not tainted, your whole body will be full of light. The, a, a translated word for light could be joy or truth. Your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, you've been looking at things and doing things you shouldn't. Your whole body will be full of darkness. It's only a matter of time. The light, the joy will just dim and there's this weight and this grief and this guilt that you carry. It says, if therefore that the light is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? God says, my will for you, please remain sexually pure in every way. They're worth the wait. And the last thing, the fifth thing. So look, we're patient with people, or we ought to be. We uniquely respect authority. We speak with grace and love. Our yes is yes, our no is no. We're going to remain pure, or at least that desire in you and our enemies. How we treat our enemies is unique. It's not like the world. Matthew chapter 5 is pretty cool. We're familiar, you know, the Bible says, You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was the common saying. And even now, it's like, right, you got your best friends and your buddies and all your friends together and you're all whatever, happy. But if someone comes against you or them, man, it's on. I got my friends back and they got my back and all of a sudden, World War III. And so it was the same back then. Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your friends and hate your enemies, right? Jesus says, not anymore. I'm raising the bar. I'm setting the standard a little higher. He says, I tell you, you love your enemies. And he describes what that looks like. Bless them, pray for them, come alongside of them. It's wild. Well, does that really work? I've never seen that really work because we've probably never really done it. I've never seen that work, blessing your enemy. What does that do? The only reason we don't know what it does is because we probably haven't done it very well. Awesome, Proverbs 25, 21. It says, if your enemy is hungry, what? Starve him, right? No, give him a donut, man. Make him some French toast or something. I don't know. Like, give him bread. That's a donut. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, poison him, right? No, it says give him water. Give him water. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you. I used to think this was some like, covert Christian way of like getting back revenge at people and they wouldn't know because if they're mean to you and then you're nice to them they'll walk away like oh man that person I couldn't even get to them and it'll just make them all mad and tempered up and just all, all 
flustered and like, ha ha, we got him. We won in the end. That's not what this means. This isn't some backwards way of like one-upping them or, or jabbing them a little bit. God says, no, your enemy, when they're hungry, feed them. When they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Basic translation, when there's a need, that's when you move. When there's a need, that's when you come in. And so maybe there's someone that's been mean to you for years. I mean years. Mean, 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 mean. And then you find out their parents are going to split up and get a divorce. Or you find out they fell down and they broke their leg. They're in the hospital and you know which one. Or their dad lost a job and now they can't go on the field trip. Or your enemies, you watch and you watch and you watch. And when that need arises, is your time to shine. That you step in and say, hey, man, I heard about your parents. I'm really sorry. If you need anything, I'm here for you. Or you find out what hospital they're in, you go visit them. Say, hey, man, how are you feeling? That's got to stink. Or you pay for them to go on that field trip or whatever it is. When they are broken, that's when you come in. It says it will heap coals of fire on their head. It's an older version of saying they're going to turn into whatever you show them. Our enemies see a hard-hearted, angry, resistant person, they're going to stay that way. But if they see someone who's loving and compassionate and selfless, they'll become a loving, compassionate, selfless person. It's wild, huh? And we can look at this list, like, patience, man, I don't have that. Ah. Respect for authority, I struggle with that. You can look and be like, man, my speech is not often with grace. Dang it. And I've kind of messed up with purity a little bit. Dang it. And I've been more mean to my enemies than they have to me. I failed. And none of these we can do. And we just read, James said, you think you can tame your tongue? Good luck. No one can. So what do we do? Wave the white flag and give up? Surrender? Just give me an F. I fail. God says, it's not by your strength, it's not by your might, it's not by you determining, I'm just going to be a better person. It's by you spending time with Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit work in you a new life. He'll do it. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, it's amazing. Self-control, all that stuff, but it comes from the Lord. You can't change yourself. But God can change you from the inside out. All right, let's pray, and we're going to get and talk in our small groups for a little bit. Father, we thank you so much that you'd even let us fall short in these areas and still say, I love you. It's crazy. Lord, how do you do that? We don't even love ourselves half the time. And that, Lord, if you had to do it all over again, you'd die on a cross again for our sins. We thank you, Father, that you don't have to, that once was enough, that we're cleansed from all unrighteousness. If we just ask and confess, you're faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord, you're amazing. And so today, Lord, for some of us, there's different topics or areas that were just, they're harder, they're bigger hurdles in our lives. But Lord, we give them to you today. We ask that you would fill us Lord, with your spirit, that you would produce that patience, you'd produce that love, the respect for our parents and teachers and authorities. God, that you would 
cause us, however far down that road we've gone, we'd pull back and today we would say, Lord, I'm living for you. No more of this sexual impurity thing. Lord, I'm reserved for you. And Lord, my enemies, and Lord, I confess now, Lord, that you'd make my heart right. That should my enemies, our enemies, ever come to that place of being broken, Lord, we'd be able to come in and be the blessing. Lord, we thank you for your great love. In Jesus' name, amen.